Astro. No. What you know about rolling down in the deep? When your brain goes numb, you can call that mental freeze. When these people talk too much, put that shit in slow motion. Yeah, I feel like an astronaut in the ocean. Ay, what you know about rolling down in the deep? When your brain goes numb, you can call that mental freeze. When these people talk too much, put that shit in slow motion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Real nonsense. She said that I'm cool. Stacks and flow. Powered by the amazing Rodecast Pro. More contract on the docket. Commander's news. NFL draft. NCAA tournament. Good time in sports. Hockey playoffs coming up. MLB opening days coming up. Hey, what you want to do? We're going to talk. There's a, there's a, there's a crescendo in sports. Now, nothing's like the fall crescendo of the uh, opening season where the NFL is in full swing. Basketball, NBA, pro ball comes back. And then you also get the uh, hockey season started. And then you got MLB playoffs. Now, that's the crescendo. That's the best time in sports. This is about a two-week window where sports are no better. You got all four professional sports playing at a high level. NFL, always competitive because of the, uh, the number of games that they, that they offer. And then you got hockey and, and basketball getting started out the gates. And you got the MLB playoffs. What, what more could you want? But that's not this time of season. Sorry. Had a little nostalgia. But this is another crescendo. This is part two of the crescendo. Where the, the NFL offseason has become its own season. Basketball teams. And we're going to talk about the Wizards. We're going to talk about the Washington Wizards. Actually, we're going to start on the Wizards. Hockey's going to playoffs. So, I mean, and, and baseball's about to start the opening day. So. But we're going to start on the Wizards. The Washington Wizards. A middling franchise since I've been around. They've won 49 games. Is the peak of what the Washington Wizards have been able to achieve as far as winning games during a season. And that's nothing to sneeze at. However, they're on the longest active streak of teams failing to win 50 or more games. That is something to sneeze at. They don't get... And this is not going to be any uh, anything... Um, Glaring for the Wizards or or anything that's going to be of note for them. Because I have nothing, honestly, for the franchise except discontent, disdain, 
and just utter utter realization that they have underperformed year after year. They've made terrible moves. Listen, and I'm a guy that I'm a guy that was okay with the Westbrook move because I got it. You unloaded a huge contract. You unloaded a huge contract and you got a guy that was willing to play for. Fine. Do I think John and and Brad came to odds? Yes, I do. I think publicly they were mature enough to not publicly beef and feud. And I don't think that their beef or feud ever probably stemmed from personal dislike of one another. But it was the situation. It was the franchise being ready to give the team to Bradley Beal. And the franchise was openly done with John Wall. And I think even farther back, though, is where we start the the terrible franchise move. And some of the things the team can't control. Like, you can't control Gilbert Arenas being an asshole. You can't control, in a way, though. I mean, because he's another guy where you look at, and it's like, we're we're warning signs not there, but neither here nor there. I'm not going to split those hairs. But you can't control guys taking themselves, high-volume guys especially, taking themselves out of the situation of of being available and playing for your franchise. I, I get that, but 49 wins is all you could muster. And you won the Eastern Conference uh, a series. I mean, that's the highlight of your franchise in the last 30 years. That's the peak. A 40-year-old Michael Jordan. That's the peak of your franchise. You've had a number one overall pick during this period. Are we just... I mean, stop me if I'm wrong. Stop me if I don't feel like the front office for the Washington Wizards have been making terrible business decisions for a long time. And, And I could be wrong. We could just be the most unlucky franchise in the world. But Teddy owning both teams. And and, and, and this is the other mind-boggling part about it. They share the building with the Capitals. How, how is it that the Capitals this year, they're going to miss the playoffs this year? This is the first year in like 14 an, an inordinate number, a number of a franchise of note. And the Wizards are just okay routinely missing their mark. Now, I'll be honest. He's run, if you really look at it, he runs both teams very similar. But he hasn't been able to strike on the star like Ovi. Ovi? No, I'll be honest. The Caps are just better top to bottom. That's why we had trade pieces. Caps are better top to bottom than the Washington Wizards on a consistent basis. General managers who are looking for hockey players 
on the Washington Capitol staff is are are far more better at their jobs than GMs in 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 the Wizards building and, and scouting analysts and, and whatever whatever the job title is. But they're far better at what they do, and they work in the same building. What I'm getting at is I'm just not giving the Wizards a pass anymore. I'm not giving Washington a pass anymore for being mediocre. And now here comes the heartbreaking stuff and the soul-crushing stuff. Because they don't deserve a pass. I'm, they don't deserve anything but what they get. And, and what they're getting is... I want to go to coaching, but let me read off the stats first. I'm telling you, in the month of March, they've won three games in the month of March. They beat the Toronto Raptors 119 to 108. They proceeded to lose their next two games. They beat Detroit 119 to 117. Then they proceeded to lose their next four games. Then they win a game against Detroit again, 117 to 197. Then they proceed to lose their next four games once again. In the midst of a playoff push, in the midst of the opportunity to play more basketball, to be competitive, to give your city something to root for. And that's the fucking problem. No one cares they're in a playoff push. No one even knows it. You walk down the streets of Washington, D.C. right now. Who are you going to find that knows that the Washington Wizards are two and a half fucking games out? You're not going to find a single soul. And that is kind of my, my whole point of this rant. There's no way the Washington Wizards should be able to operate under this type of immunity of under just being bad and no one caring. I could argue there are more deserving towns to have basketball teams if we just don't care about ours. If we just don't hold them accountable, if they just get another season, if they just get another opportunity to lose, 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 and lose and lose and lose. That'll all be okay. No one fucking cares. And the part that's going to make you throw up is if you're a person like me that's watched no one give a damn about the franchise and then you're going to be the odd man out if they happen to ever find a way to start winning. You're going to be the odd person out telling everybody that you should have cared and you should have been there through the dog days and I really don't like your fucking camaraderie now. Because no one cared, no one gave a damn that they quit on seasons. No one took the time to stop and give a that they that they quit on basketball that their team broke apart that Kuzma's talking against Beal talking about Beal's late game shooting no one cares this team is totally in disarray but it's a quiet disarray and they're losing so no one cares the Warriors got problems Imagine the wizard problems. Championship 
basketball teams have problems. Imagine the Washington Wizards problems right now. I mean, they got a guy that can't even get out the building, literally. He owns the building. He's got the same carte blanche as the owner. Think about that. Wrap your mind around that. He doesn't have to go anywhere. He has a job where he cannot be fired. Think about that. He orchestrated a deal. Brad Steele orchestrated a deal where he doesn't have to go anywhere. In a sport. In an organization. In a league. Where moving a player is routine. He got him a deal where he don't have to do nothing. He needs the Russell Wilson office. He has the office. But Brad's a chill, laid-back guy. He has Russell Wilson's office just illuminating around him. The, the, off, the office with Russell Wilson, it was more of a, of a um, it was more bringing a visual to the carte blanche that he had in that building. The office, true, truly, the office isn't a problem. Whether you sit at your locker and talk to no one, or whether you sit in the office and talk to no one, but it's the it's the mystique that it creates. Same thing with Bradley. That no trade cause. Bradley Bills is good as the owner till that contract's up. If Bradley Bills show, it doesn't even have to show up to work. Think about the deal the man got. And I listen, and I, I've advocated and I've pushed that the deal was an okay idea at the time. They shotgun wedding. Players in this league, uh, I mean not in this in this era, are are coming to the realization that shotgun weddings are the best time to get paid. Daniel Jones, a shotgun wedding. Saquon Barkley, a franchise tag, shotgun wedding. Guys you have to pay. Guys you just look at and what's the... Kirk Cousins, shotgun wedding. The double franchise tags. What else you gonna do, man? Shotgun wedding. Who you gonna take? Players have realized that teams are in bad situations if they're average at their positions at a professional level. And I think... I think... I think we watch so much pro sports now. We get so much pro sports dialed into us. It's not as amazing as it used to be. I think we fall victim to that. That an average professional athlete looks average now. But the reality is, if you're an average professional athlete, and this is what these organizations have to come to realization of, that's why we pay Patrick Corbin in the MLB. Patrick Corbin is the worst pitcher in baseball. We pay him at a starting pitcher's rate because we have to pay for a guy that's a- available to produce average. That's the risk on uh, on how this year. I'm coming back to those Wizards, though. You ain't done. You're not done in Washington. No, I'm coming back, Wizards. But you're not able. If he's not able to produce average, that's the risk. And that's why my car argument was always, I know car is capable of average. And, and, and that to me, in, in the realm of sports today, now granted, don't put yourself in a shotgun situation picking up free agents. But anyway, that, that's a whole nother spiel. 
back to these fucking Washington Wizards, honestly. Because you're not getting off the hook. You're not getting off the hook. You're blowing your teams up. I mean, I've watched year after year. I want to root for basketball in my city. I want to root for a professional basketball team. And the Wizards fail year after year. Year after year. Underperform year after year. Westbrook was honestly one of the best things that's happened since John Wall. Since that uh since that that conference championship or or whatever it was, or the game before the conference championship, the, the divisional championship, or whatever they call it in the NBA. Since that game, Westbrook's pushing the bubble. That's the most that's the most competitive the Washington Wizards have been since COVID-19. Shut down the league. That's the most competitive. And that's the thing. The one and done year with Westbrook, yeah, it was a bad idea. I mean, it's not sexy. But that was what that brought good basketball. That brought competitive basketball. That brought teams getting pushed. At least we're going to fight to every minute's gone before we're just saying, hey, we're out. These teams are out. These teams are deflated. This team right here this season is deflated. This team is, is just as good as the Hornets. This team is just as good as the fucking Hornets and whoever else is the Dregs, the, 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 the Rockets, the Pistons, who the, the only team they're able to beat up on. Like, come on, man. This team is deflated. And it's not all coaching. This, this problem is from the top, but that's the problem. No one cares enough in this town about basketball. I promise you. You can find more Nats fans. You can find more Caps fans. It's hard as fuck to find somebody keeping up with Washington Wizards basketball on a nightly basis. On a nightly basis. It's hard. I promise you it's hard. You try it. You go out there and you try to find a Washington Wizards fan. You do it. And that's a problem. But we deserve a pro franchise. Worst name in sports, too. Now I'm just picking on them. But seriously, worst name in sports. Worst name in fucking sports. The Washington Wizards. It's the worst name in sports. It's because it's so easy and it's so mundane and it's so weird. To be honest. It's all these other figures <laughs> in the fucking league. And we chose the Wizards. We're Wizards. Ha! Then it's no magic in them. And there's a team called the Magic. Go figure. <sighs> Fucking Wizards, bro. I'm not giving them a pass. I'm tired of it. I watch it year after year, man. I came up in an era of competitive basketball. And I missed that. And I got more options than ever to watch basketball. Than I ever had before. I used to have to watch other teams. Because you know why? The Wizards weren't any good. I used to watch other teams be great. Because the Wizards weren't any fucking good. Now. I get four games a fucking night. And you know who's never on them? My home fucking team. My home fucking team sucks. And they don't care. But no one cares. And that's what ricking me so fucking bad. No one fucking cares. No one cares that the Wizards fucking suck. And I'm tired of it, man. They have no reason to get better. 
because fans don't care. They don't have any fans. So bozos like me will waste 20 minutes talking about them. Come back, man. We talking NFL. Real nonsense. Stacks and flow. Stacks of flam. NHL. Playoffs coming up. Caps missing those. Man. It's been a good run, though. Not gonna lie, man. When they traded Hearthaway. I'll say this, though. The trade, they got they got a good amount back. I mean, they got a first-round pick in the upcoming draft. They got a third-round pick in the following uh, year's draft. And a second. Oh, no. My bad. First and third, this draft coming up. And also was able to sneak in a second-round pick. But Hathaway's a good player. That's the problem. Like Hathaway has car ads on the, on, on, uh, on, the, on the radio stations. I'm telling you. Like, it's, it's Garrett, man. It's fucking Garrett Hathaway, man. <laughs> Hathaway, Kuznetskov, uh, Garrett Wilson, um, uh, Carlson. I mean, those are those are the household cap names. But to be honest, they're all old too. To get this for Hathaway, 27, 28 year old player. I mean, they got a haul for him. He's a good player, though. Like in in the line they put him in, in the lines they put him in on, uh, production is unmatched. So, I mean, but Bruins just get stronger. That's the problem. And the team that's in your conference. I mean, I get it, but I mean, well, this is the thing: the Caps are going to try to stay competitive, and it's not a rebuild. In a, in a way, they still have the core. The core is old, though. I'll be honest. But their their goal is to bring in now the youth and not have to go through the rebuild. They just stole two first. They got two first-round picks now in, in the next upcoming draft. They got their pick of the best 30 hockey players in the, in the world coming up next year uh, as far as uh, talent-wise. Coming out in that pool. That's how you set yourself up. But that's savvy moves. When was the last time you heard the Washington Commanders had two picks? Washington Redskins had two picks in the first round. When the last time you heard the Washington Wizards had two picks in the first round? Teams do these type of moves routinely. And the Capitals missing the playoffs this year is a big thing in this town. But that's the other thing. This is not a sports town, to be honest. 
that would matter to a lot of people. That would be the buzz to a lot of people. DC is so unconnected and it, and it is transcendent and, and, and it's overstated at times. But to be honest, I think it's understated in this particular conversation because it really is three different states and it's three different demographics. It really is. It's sectioned off so much. It is hard to come. It's, it's one of the probably, it's probably the hardest city to unify in sports. I'd argue that, that DC is the hardest city to unify in sports. We always argue on something, the color of the quarterback. I mean, something we always find something to be in disagreement with paying guy or not paying a guy, you know, we all, and, and every city has their quarrels and has their problems. But my point is DC, I'm telling you, I've never seen lines drawn in the sand so hard. I've never seen lines in the same. I've been in situations where I've been just weary of saying, you know what? I do like Kirk Cousins over Robert Griffin, where I've just kept that information to myself. I've, I, I don't know, man. I don't know. Other cities I've traveled, like Dallas is unified under the star. You know what I mean? Like, like going to Vegas and stuff, like, like they were unified under the, the, and they embraced that thing. That team came to them. I mean, I get it, though. I mean, that's that's something different. That's opening a present at Christmas. That's something totally different. So I get that with the Vader, uh, the, the Las Vegas situation. But still, uh, you know, Baltimore games I've been to, they're, they flock, man. I mean, it's – and not to say that the commanders aren't a, a strong fan base. We are. Uh, I actually got a segment coming up here. Anyway. We'll get to that later, but but the, we are, but at the same time, the output in, in, in just even the stadium attendance, it's a clear sign that there's so much divide within the realm of Washington, D.C., even when it comes to sports, which seems to be the, the one of the, to me, I've seen one of the biggest unifying factors outside of like natural disaster, things like that, unfortunate situations. I've rarely seen human beings just come together through camaraderie over sharing the same love and passion for a sports franchise. And that's the beauty of sports. That's the beauty of sports. That's why we talk sports. That's why we play sports. That's why we put our kids in sports. Sports matter. Sports are a, 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 a concrete and foundation to, in my opinion, Rounding out a human being and rounding out a, 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 uh, well, put it this way to not even generalize people. Sports are fucking good. Put it that way for your, for your mental and your physical <laughs> sports are good. But, I, but DC is one of the hardest places to root for sports. I, it really is. A lot of people don't care unless you're winning. And if you're not winning enough, no one cares. I, I don't know, man. I, hey, anyway, moving on, moving on, moving on, moving on. MLB is uh, actually let's go NCAA tournament real quick, because that's uh, that's right now, and that is uh, I'll be honest, I haven't watched a lot of tournament, man. I've got YouTube TV and I I don't know what it is. I have not tuned in 
to a ton of tournament. Now I'm up to speed with what's going on in the tournament. But as far as honestly watching the games, I watched more college basketball during the season than I've watched of the NCAA tournament. And as a sportscaster, probably shouldn't be revealing that information. However, <laughs> full transparency here. That's all you're getting. But um, yeah, I mean, I mean, overall, I I haven't. It's not what it was to me. I remember being in high school, and they were pulling out the uh, the um, they were rolling out the TV. I don't even know how they got. Oh, because they were local channels, all right. Yeah, but long story short, they were rolling out the fat back TVs. And and we're, you know, we're in the gym, 17, 16, and we're, and we're watching Maryland play. But I'll be honest, too, it was that buzz. It was back with the Blake and Juan Dixon team. Uh, who was my man? Uh, Chris Wilcox. It was, it was those teams that created the interest. Maryland was a good team. Gary was rolling with the Terps and, and, that was all we, you know, we're 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 twenty one minutes down the highway from Maryland University, and Maryland's kicking fucking Duke's ass, you know. And that's that's back when Duke got Jay Williams, um, Lonnie Baxter. I'm telling you, dude, it was good. It was good bump. But the thing about it was, even me as a high school student, I could I could follow college basketball because the same players were coming back, same players. I was watching players develop. And and that was also too with the buzz where you know you would hear the names and the circles you were hanging around. And and it was it was more of a thing, I'll be honest. Technology has taken a lot of the joy out of um intimate uh social experiences. I I, I can strongly say, it, especially when it comes to the realm of sports. Because that I remember and I look back now, that was an intimate social experience. What was going on at Maryland? when I was in high school and they were on their uh, title run, which which at the time I didn't know. We didn't know how long this run could go. They're mowing through the ACC. They're mowing through the ACC tournament. They're getting in the NCAA tournament. They're plowing through teams. They meet Duke again, beat Duke. I'm telling you, they were unstoppable. And then don't stop till they get a fucking national title. It was an amazing run. And it was more amazing without social media because it was must watch. It was must fucking watch. It wasn't catch the highlights. It wasn't I could catch it again. It wasn't I could DVR it. It wasn't any of that bullshit. So I say that to say, yeah, it does pain me as a as someone that wants to 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 talk sports and tell you I didn't watch a major sporting event. But it also doesn't shame me, and that speaks to the culture of sports today. I don't have to watch everything anymore. Not anymore. I couldn't go. Nigga, I couldn't go back in 2002 <laughs> and try to talk sports if I didn't watch them. I'd, I'd be fucking crazy. But I don't have to watch sports anymore. I'm so... The amount of articles I get. Like, it was the Washington Post, and then I had to pay for other stuff. To be a real sports buff, I had to pay for Sports Illustrated. I had to pay for the premier sports content. 
MLB though. On uh, top teams, Astros. If you ask me, uh, uh that, that round out the NCAA tournament though. Uh, tonight you got Alabama versus uh, San Diego State. Pac-12 was strong this year in college ball. I'll be honest. Alabama, I don't trust Alabama out of the sheer sense that they're not a traditional power. Alabama is not a traditional power in basketball, and I think that catches up with them. Something that about this tournament, I got UConn winning it all. UConn's still in it. Traditional powers dominate this tournament. Yes, there are deviations at times. Traditional powers dominate the NCAA tournament. I don't trust Alabama. I'm not saying I don't trust them tonight. I don't trust them to win it all. I'm not even giving picks on this. But I'll say that. If you got Alabama all the way, I wouldn't love that. That's just me personally. I'll say this. Arguably the best team in college basketball during the regular season, but I've seen them lose, and I've seen them lose at home too. And that's scary. There's no bigger advantage in sports than a college basketball home game. There's no bigger home field advantage. You cannot convince me of any other sport that has a more impactful home field advantage, even football games. I get it. Oh, 100,000. It's 100,000 people sitting in Ohio State Stadium. I get it. Michigan sits in seats 92,000. I get it. Doesn't matter. Not a hill of beans to me. Something about the intimacy of the way college basketball arenas are set up. Man, 22,000 kids sitting on top of you screaming and you can hear the kid in the Raptors. You could have a conversation with the kid at the very top. Something about that is so, it, it's the most pressureful. And just look at it. Just look at the trends. Look at college basketball home games. The team could be an underdog at home. There's something about home court advantage in college basketball. It's the most advantageous uh, sporting, uh, I don't know. Sport, it's the most advantageous position you can be in in sport is to play a home game in college basketball. But all in all, uh, I got Kentucky going all the way. Uh, last night, I did have UCLA beating Gonzaga. That did, that came down to the wire. That was a game everybody called coming down to the wire. It wasn't one pundit, wasn't one person, wasn't anybody thinking that game was not going to come down to the wire. I, I didn't hear one voice, and it lived up to it, which, was, which is kudos to the kids. Kudos to the guys playing ball because, you know, I mean, that's a lot of pressure. Everyone says it's going to be a dogfight. You know, they're watching TV. They're, re- they're reading the same stuff I'm reading. So, you know, for them for them to, 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 to put on that type of performance, uh, great job. Michigan State loses in overtime, 98 to uh, 93 to Kansas State. Kansas State is a sneaky good team, too. Really good three seed. They're a solid three seed. Like Duke, Duke this year, they, they've been bounced out early, but... Duke was not a traditional four. Like, Duke was a three, to be honest. And, you know, for them to get bounced, like, they're not that. Uh, some seeds are are shaky because of the way the conferences are weighted. But, um, no, Kansas State is a solid three, I'll be honest. But uh, I took Michigan State uh, just for the Tom Izzo effect. I mean, coaching matters in this sport. Coaching matters in the sport of college basketball. Uh, 
Not as much as it used to, though. I'll be honest. Not as much as it used to. I think innovation. Innovation and uh, opening up the way a lot of players play and allowing players to play within their own game versus. But this is a whole nother topic. Uh, I'm going I'm to give it two minutes and then, I, then, I, then I'll, I'll break and we'll come back. But to be honest, college, the, there's a there's a yin and a yang to opening up college basketball because unofficially college basketball has been the, uh, the, um, the farm league for the NBA, like unofficially. Now they have the G league, of course, but I mean, for years, you know, play college ball, go to pro ball, play college ball, go to pro ball. Like it was it. It was, it was a seamless transition for good, great players. But now, if you open up college basketball to not honing in the fundamentals of what a farm system is, because that was the thing. Like, college basketball, the reason you like it and you love it, it it's, it's more buttoned up. It's basketball to its root. It's, it's pickup basketball. But it's organized. And it's beautiful. It's the game you played in your backyard. And it's the only game, honestly, that can be sold to you. It's an amateur sport. But it's sold to you at such a volume, and it looks so damn good. But to be honest, it's just pickup ball. It's organized ball. It's rec ball. But it's so damn good. And, and the reason it's so damn good, and, most, and, and, and what used to be attributed mostly to it, and what a lot of times should be, but anyway... Is the coaching, is the tutelage you got in the system. And what's now attributed a lot of times is just the the name, like Alabama to this season. You think Alabama players are good because, I mean, I, I don't want to take anything away from the guys. They're good. But what I'm saying is they get a bigger pass on good because the school's good. If the same Alabama players were on uh, Howard or or Norfolk State, they don't get the buzz. They don't get the notoriety. They'll blow through their conference. They'll blow through, and then they'll come in as a 13 seed. But you you believe in the Alabama team because they are at Alabama. So what I'm saying is it doesn't matter. You don't know the coach of Alabama. But my point is you used to know the coach of the, the major powers. Alabama's not a traditional power. And because of that, the, the devaluing of coaching – like the the traditional powers and coaching go hand in hand in college basketball. You can be a power, but if you don't have a stable coach, which is why they're still paying Rick Pitino. Pitino's going back to St. John's. Pitino's going to St. John's. He's trying to bring the Big East back, and he might. But he's one of the few guys hanging around. I'd be surprised if Izzo comes back. It's a lot of the, the traditional guys that got you ready for the pros. They're gone. Guys that were, um, you know, selective with who got a scholarship and got to play under them. Like, it was a thing. Like, for, for John Thompson to understand the talent of Allen Iverson, 
to understand that, you know what? Kid deserves a scholarship, and he's talented enough for me, who I coach Patrick Ewing, for me to put my name on. That that is gone in sport in, in, in the in the sport of college basketball. That is gone. That is out the window. We come back. Uh little GM Flim. Let's talk some football. Fun stuff. Uh stacks of Flim. Real nonsense. I'm a Real nonsense. That's oh, man. Let's go, GM. Uh, actually, you know what? Commanders. Because I don't have a lot on the commanders. We signed an offensive lineman. Uh, a French player from the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, I mean, I like the idea. Love the idea. I just don't love that they're solving a problem they created themselves. Uh, that part, that part irks, that part irks the hell out of me. Like we we routinely just giving away the opportunity to retain. Competent and at least average line play. Thought we could just plug in people we found. And honestly, essentially, we're doing the same thing. We're just replacing the people we found last year with newer people we found. That's the other frustrating part. We're not doing anything different. And it's disguised. It's not even disguised as something different. I think fans are just so numb to it. Like, that's literally what's going on. I think everyone's just like, oh, well, we're getting new players, so that must be good. But to be honest, we're doing the same fucking thing we did the other year. We're not even, we're not fucking with continuity anymore. We don't care about the offensive line anymore. We just hire guys and we put them together. So, doubling down on that fucking philosophy this year. Hey, first guy, I'm going to say it. If this offensive line is bad again this year, I'm telling you, man. You heard it here first. Uh, I mean, outside of that, I don't know, man. Uh, I had a lot on them, but I don't even want to rag on them, to be honest. Uh, on the on the ownership and the selling part, though, because uh, that is the buzz of the off season. The commanders are the. Let me get this stat exactly right. Uh, actually, not it's not a jarring stat. It's not news to anyone, but I think it brings full circle the selling of the organization and the selling of the franchise. So the Washington Commanders, based on Forbes' list of 2023, 
the Washington Commanders are currently ranked as the well actually let's just give it to you I'll give you the top so this is the top most valued sports franchises in the world not uh not locally just in the entire world Dallas Cowboys come in at 8 billion New England Patriots wrap your mind around that one New England Patriots are at 6.4 billion dollars as a franchise and they're the second most valuable franchise in the world Think about the impact of Tom Brady. That's the impact of Tom Brady. That's why Tom, and even to the credit of the Chicago Bulls, Bulls haven't been relevant, <laughs> haven't been relevant since uh, Michael Jordan's departure. I, I'm, I don't know if they make this list. I'll see. Uh, if they make the top fifty, that'll tell you the impact even of Michael Jordan. Uh, you know what? It's another jarring one on here. I got one at the end. I'll just tell it now. Josh Allen. Josh Allen has the Buffalo Bills rounding this list out at like 48 or 49. But the, the jarring part was within the last five years, the Buffalo Bills franchise has increased in value over 110%. And they've recently been bought in like the past seven years. So they had a new owner in like seven. They find Josh Allen. And Josh Allen just skyrocketed this team's organization's uh, value. To where they can even be one of the top 50 in the uh, entire world. But Tom Brady, I just want to wrap your mind around that. Tom Brady has the New England Patriots as the second most valued franchise in all of sports. $6.4 billion. And you cannot tell me that it doesn't have anything to do with Tom Brady. Anyway, Las Vegas Rams. Uh, that's probably location more so. Uh, they're at number three at $6.2 billion. New York Yankees. They actually just moved up to $7 billion, so they jumped two of these teams. New York Yankees just got a new uh, appraisal. But on this list here, they're listed as $6 billion, But me doing my research, the New York Yankees are actually valued at $7 billion. And they were only bought for $8.8 billion, uh, $8.8 million. So that's pretty amazing. And in the last five years, they found a way to go up in value. Uh, by 62%. New York Giants. Uh, probably just the power in New York. But $6 billion. Yeah. You own the Giants, man. That's something. That ain't nothing. Uh, New York Knicks. Yep. Just empowers the statement I just made. You own a franchise in the city of New York. You own something. Uh, New York Knicks valued at $5.8 billion. So, uh, found a... Now, this is shocking. They found a way in the last five years to increase their revenue by 76%. That is uh, very shocking to me. That is very shocking to me. Um, Yeah. I mean, they're they not winning. So, I don't know. They're not winning. Uh, Chicago Bears, $5.8 billion. Uh, Golden State Warriors, again, winning. The Tom Brady effect. Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, uh, Dynasties. They win. And to the same Josh Allen effect, the in the last five years, Golden State Warriors were able to increase their value by 115%. Golden State Warriors valued in at $5.6 billion. And then you get why I'm even on this list. Number eight, Washington Commanders. And this is why Daniel Snyder won't sell. This team is worth $5.6 billion and it has an 81% increase in the last five years. Think about how bad the last five years of football been for you. Think about if you're a fan. 
Think about, wrap your mind around that. The last five years of football, how bad has that been for you? How bad has that been for you as a fan of this team? And then to get note that they've increased their net worth by 81%. How? It's the league, it's the bargaining, but it's the nostalgia too. It's the nostalgia. That's why they made the same colors. That's why the name had to change, but not that much. That's what they want. The old fogies, veterans, that's what they want. They don't want anything new. They don't want anything hip. They want people that are still spending money. They increased. What have we done in the last five years? Of note. We had top picks. We got Chase Young at number two in the last five years. I'm telling you, man, doesn't make any sense. But that's why he won't sell. To the, to my major point, that's why he won't sell. I don't blame him for not selling. I got a cash fucking cow. I got a cash cow. I got a business that I don't have to run successfully that's growing. Why would I get rid of it? And that's how he can operate a business that he doesn't have to run successful because it's just growing in value because the teams around him are making him look better because he's still in that league and they still call it competitive and they still are. they all have to go lock and step. You can't leave any team behind, especially one in the nation's capital. He doesn't have any incentive to getting a better football team. He doesn't have any incentive to making a Super Bowl. There's nothing that makes him say, I want to spend more money to be successful because I'm already growing the profit. I'm already growing in value. Why would I try to get better? Me and you for pride. Me and you for just flat out being good. Me and you for just competitive nature. Not him though. Not him though. Bought this team for seven, uh, 750 million net value 5.6 billion bought it for that's peanuts if i've ever seen that's a parlay hit if i've ever seen dan just hit dan has a parlay 12 legs and made him a fortune you think he's not giving that up man not for perversion and I get it more now, what's taking them so long, man. When I looked into the numbers, who's giving this up? Who's giving this up? Who's giving up a losing product that's doing nothing but gaining me more money? Who's giving that up? And I'm not arguing the moral value, whether he should or shouldn't. My stance is clear on that. Dan Schneider sell the fucking team. But shit, this is the NFL offseason. It's dry news in that league. So I'm telling you, that's an angle to think about it, man. Think about it from Daniel Snyder's perspective. Why would I sell my team? I've done nothing but make as I I, I foresee nothing. But more and more and more money coming to me if I remain an owner. What the hell do you mean I need to get out now? GM Flynn, we come back.
Stacks uh, Roadhouse Beat him, burnt me a nigga in front of the store with your mammy and grandma shopping. Bitch, I've died on a whole nother wave on these nigga. Let's see one of these little nigga top that. I've turned a nigga into a convertible. Push me a little nigga top back. Her boyfriend be hating and calling a groupie just cause she like all my music. She just send me a text in the demand. Shawty reckless, he pop out in traffic. Bell out, there he go. Hit him four times, but the more cats said they found two extra holes. And I'm from the city, these bitches fishy, they be stretching homes. Money on them. I just said that, grab that scat pad, let's go collect that. They was scared, scared, that's what threat said. They want peace tree, I reject that. I Respect that, grab my cat gas, see that chain set, let me get that Where your hood at, where that book bag, where that Drake at, go and get I'm back very important, you sitting outside on porches, made a man We can't catch his ass, we riding pairs, we bound to get his man Pass to tens, tens, try to honk him down for breaking in Real nonsense Stacks and flam GM flam time Ah, man. GM Flam. Ezekiel Elliott's on the market. <sighs> what would I do with Ezekiel Elliott? All right. Landing spots. If I'm a GM and I got Ezekiel Elliott on the market, only teams that I can honestly see him working on. Houston Texans Because they've only got Guys and names escaping me uh, I can't remember who that is on there But Definitely the Texans Because I know they had the worst run offense in the league I mean, Literally the worst Just dead bottom Damian Pierce That's it he can beat out Devin Singletary and Mike Boone, whoever that is, Gerald Dox. Put it that way. He's got a secure – he's got one opportunity in Houston if they want him because that's the other part of this thing. Because to read between the lines, Zach Thomas, Bengals, uh, which is the second team that I heard was on Zeke's wish list, laughed off the idea. Said they're pretty set in their running back room and how they feel. I'd go get a young guy. If I were the Bengals. Because I need to I need to replace Mixon more than anything. Like Joe's got weapons. But I'd go get uh I'd go get a workhorse and a scat back. If I were the Bengals, I just I just retool at halfback O line. I keep solidifying that O line. Um, but it's not about the Bengals. Then he said the Jets, man, the Jets were on his wish list. Team up with a Rod and uh, also the Eagles. Now the Texans were not on his wish list, but just me looking at the league, I mean, that's his best shot. Honestly, he's tripping. To be honest, like the Texans is the one team he's got a chance at starting on unless the Texans go running back. I doubt they they're not going to jump quarterback, though, for running back. If I were them, they're in a tight spot. man. Because Elijah Moore is no, I got his kid's name wrong, but the kid from Texas. 
There's also an Alabama back coming out too. Um, there's always an Alabama back coming out. <laughs> All right, that's not a shocker, but uh, I don't know. They're, they're in a unique spot. Put it that way. They're in a unique spot. But the I think the Giants have shown years past if you use that top draft capital, Cowboys shown years past. You use that top draft capital on a running back, you're almost handcuffed to re-signing them. Almost. Just to not look stupid. Um, Just to not look like total buffoons. But I'll say this, yo. When a GM spots a, a top five pick at running back, gen- generally... Those guys paying out. Those guys, you know, they butter the pain more often than not. Um, but that's the, if oh, my, my analysis, if I were, I'd go to the Texans. If I were Ezekiel, if I wanted to play, if I wanted to play, it depends on where my mind's at. As his agent, I'd have to ask him. As a GM, uh, I would take him from the Texans. He's not going to get, you know, he's going to go market value. But if he was willing to play for us, the market, yeah. We'll take his, you know, what are we doing? We got Damian Pierce and we're turning down, uh, you know, two-time league rush leaders. No. I get it. He's a shell of himself. 800 yards, probably what you get out of him. That's production, though. I watched Brian Robinson this year. He didn't eclipse 1,000 yards. He was productive when he got into the game script, got into the games. He was impactful. Towards a team trying to push for wins. There's an impact to a guy. That's bringing out. You know. That you can depend on for 68 yards. You know. Is he is he breaking 100? Maybe not. 68 yards is valuable. And you know. There's a spot for it on my football team. Especially when Damian Pierce is, is our number one option. So. That's the most on the Zeke Elliott train. Uh, Lamar Jackson. Some weird stuff happened with him. Some weird agent. Uh, looks, it, it appears now to be a uh, publicity stunt where Lamar has this uh, pretty much the gym you can take anywhere. The name's escaping me, but he's got this uh, thing where you can take a gym anywhere. It's got dumbbells, uh, I guess other basic gym equipment, but it's in like a rolling suitcase, uh, clear gas case, clear gas, clear ga- glass. Uh, casing on the outside um but you can basically work out outdoors and feel like you're in the gym looks like it had monitors tv stuff like that so uh looks like the nfl bit the bit though because uh what they did was send out a message to all 32 teams letting them know not to negotiate with Whoever the said business partner is of Lamar Jackson, because he was not a uh, licensed uh, agent, basically, or a licensed person who could negotiate with the NFL. Long story short, uh, looks like Lamar is just effing around and um, getting promo for his uh, for his home gym. What's he? What's successful? I'll say that it was very successful. Uh, very successful. Because now I know about the home gym. And I would not have cared or known about the home gym had they not uh, 
It's kind of funny because honestly, what's basically happened is Lamar Jackson told that guy like, Hey, reach out to this team, this team, and this team. And I'm sure Lamar has the capability of getting the phone numbers to that team, that team, and that team. The guy, <laughs> assuming, I'm assuming, alleged, not even alleging, I'm assuming he throws out their fictional contract numbers for Lamar or trade deals. The teams decline, notify the NFLPA, and boom, publicity started. And it's pretty genius. Not going to lie. And all Lamar and that guy have to do is deny it. <laughs> I mean, so, uh, GM Flynn with that, uh, I would try not to fall for anything like that. If I were GM Flynn, I would try my best not to fall for a, uh, for a hoax like that. Some random guy I've never heard of in the agent community. But uh, we're going to talk a little Hendon Hooker. Um, quarterback Tennessee, six foot three, two hundred seventeen pounds. Uh, started at Virginia Tech, then worked his way over to an SEC school. Very impressive. I'm impressed with him. I'll be honest. I'm gonna start here, but without further ado, let's go to Hendon Hooker. Uh, then we're gonna go ahead and get out of here. I do got some real nonsense for today though, too. Adults are acting really weird in sports, but uh, right now Hendon Hooker, GM Flynn. All right, as I've already stated, 6'3 quarterback, 217 pounds, Hendon Hooker. Uh, Tours ACL, though, at the University of Virginia Tech, and he found himself in the uh, little portal where he could be a super senior because of the COVID, uh, COVID uh, pandemic. So he's a 25-year-old guy. He's old. He's like Pickett. Uh, I'm going to be honest. This kid's better than Pickett. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to start there. He's better than Kenny Pickett. Now, Kenny Pickett. Uh, this ain't about picking. I ain't going to talk picking. Anyway, this kid's better than picking. I'll tell you that much. As far as the prospect and what I saw from him. Loved. Uh, I'm going to just start with the loves, man. Developed tremendously from the uh, Virginia Tech tape I watched up until when he got to Tennessee. Tennessee, he was a different quarterback. Always had the tools in his toolbox. He learned how to use them in that third year. He was dependable. Pocket guy wants to be a pocket guy. Does not want to get out of there. Does not necessarily want to go off script. He wants to run the offense. One of the negatives I found on him was the offense was pretty fucking mundane, I'll be honest. Not a lot of challenging stuff, but he was actually challenged a little bit in post-snap stuff. Uh, a lot of times receivers are running down the field. They've got options on the, the route that they may break based on the coverage. He was challenged with that kind of stuff. You can't do that kind of stuff with Doug McDermott. Not Doug McDermott. Uh, whatever the kid's name. Uh, McDougal, whoever he was from uh, TCU. But anyway, you can't do that stuff with every quarterback is what I'm saying, especially early. But my point is, kid developed, man. He's a solid player. Uh, loves the pocket, climbs the pocket well, feels the pressure around him. Has the athleticism, though, to extend plays. That's also what I love about him. What's going to hold him back He's not a Pro Bowl talent looking at him on tape. He's just not. You don't see the big arm. You don't see necessarily the dynamic plays. He's a boring player. 
I'll be honest, but he's a great player. And that's honestly mostly what you need at the quarterback position. 70% of the quarterback position is being born. 30% is being amazing. Uh, he does the layup stuff. I don't know what else you want from him. I really don't. I really don't. I really don't. Do you, does he elevate the team? Not necessarily. But, I mean, Will Levis has been, been labeled with that. Josh Allen was labeled with that early. So, I don't even know if that necessarily makes or breaks it in my opinion. I... I've got a new favorite prospect. I'll be honest. Out of the guys, I was a uh, Jared Hall guy. Um, still like Jared Hall. But as far as the quarterbacks I've evaluated, even better. Even better than Will Levis because I, I kind of like Levis. AR-15 is okay. Hendon ah, Hooker's my favorite prospect. I'll be honest, man. Because of the potential. He's going to go low round. He's going to get a chance to sit. This kid can flat out ball. He he understands the quarterback position. Will he struggle at the next level? Yes, especially early. But he's got all the tools. And he shows the developmental capabilities. That's the part two. That's what you really want from a quarterback. You want him raw, but you want him refined. And that's exactly what he is. He's showing that he's able to be mold. He's able to get into a new system. He's able to go into a new conference, do what he has to do to succeed in that conference. Post-injury. So he's showing the capability of being learned, but he's also showing the, 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 the uh, in this case, Saturday to Saturday, Ability to go out there and be a baller and run an offense successfully. Went into, I can't stress this enough, went into Tuscaloosa and came out victorious. When's the, when's the last time when's the last time Tennessee challenged Alabama? Probably since Peyton Manning played. Now, granted, this kid ain't no Peyton Manning, but what I'm saying, he's a developmental prospect. He'll probably go day two. He'll probably go round two to three. But you can't tell. He's a Derek Carr kind of guy. He looks like the black Drew Brees. I'll be honest with you. He's very cerebral. Extremely cerebral. And that's what I fell in love with. Understands offenses. Understands what the defense trying to do to him. Doesn't panic. Loves the pocket. Does not panic back there. Takes what he's giving to him. Uh, accurate thrower. I, I don't have very bad notes on him. The bad notes I got. Uh, he, he does take big hits. Uh, speaking to the ACL. Him being 25 is a little bit of a red flag. You're not going to, you don't have time to necessarily develop him because of his age. Uh, that part, but older quarterbacks are, are kind of trending right now too, coming out of the draft. Um, Yeah, and, and just the scheme wasn't that good. I don't know how his jump will be from handling a full NFL slate. The scheme was kind of mundane. A lot of screens, a lot of screens they like to do. A lot of stuff that didn't require his mechanics. Literally the pitch and catch, literally ball snap to him. Uh, rotates 45 degrees and just tosses it to a wide receiver. Um, didn't love the volume of that kind of stuff. Thought it might have hindered his development a little bit more. But, I mean, when he when he, when they let him go, when they let him sit back there, when they let him drop in the pocket and, 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 and do his thing, I have not seen a quarterback at the collegiate level operate the pocket like him. 
Now, granted, I haven't done C.J. Stroud and I haven't done Bryce Young yet. But out of Jarrett Hall, Will Levis, uh, AR-15, um, yeah, I mean, out of those guys, I haven't found a guy that's 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 as poised as he is. That's going through his reads. Um, yeah, I mean, Jarrett Hall, move over, man. Move over, brother. Uh, McDuggett, whatever the dude's name is. I did Max McDuggett. Max, Max whatever his name is. But anyway, uh, yeah, all four of you guys move over. He's just he's just superseded you guys. He's my top prospect right now. And the only two I got left are C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. Uh, I like to say the best for last. I do, especially in these type of evaluations. Because, I mean, the, the world's done that part for me. I'd rather spend a lot of time before I get worn out looking at the the underdog prospects than looking overlooking at a guy that's going to go number one overall. You know, I mean, what's, what, in a sense, I'm wasting my time. So, it, you know, again, but that's my GM and strategy. I'm starting from the seventh round up if I'm a GM. I'm not, you know, top talent's there. You know, but I, I mean, how much evaluation does top talent need? Generally, they're three-year starters, uh, or generally they're generational. Generally, you've heard about them since high school. Yada yada yada. Look, come back, uh, do a little real nonsense, and get you out of here. Uh, real nonsense, stacks fly. Is it hers? Tuli in a burger. Close the window curtains. Right up in your skirt. Take off, hit the curve. Tuli in a burger. Tuli in that burger. Ooh. Oh, how times have changed. Real nonsense, tax flow. All right, a little real nonsense before we get out of here. Uh, Jason Whitlock finds himself in this. Uh, it's a rarity. It's a rare one right here, y'all. It's a double barrel. Real nonsense. Giving it to two. Two people in the same story are real fuck. It's real fucking nonsense in the realm of sports. So first person I'm going to do, Jason Whitlock. We all know him. Uh, used to talk sports. Now uh, he talks real life situations. Uh, that's kind of weird. <laughs> I'll be honest. He's moved over from sports realm to talk show host. Uh, no, granted. <laughs> Let me be fair. Let me be fair. Let me be fair, Joe, because I do the same thing, to be honest. Uh, I don't know. I guess I'm simultaneously doing both. Uh, so I won't crush him for that. But it's a little weird. It's a little weird watching Jason Whitlock give you super crucial life advice. Maybe that's where me and him part ways. But he's uh, moved over to more less talking about sports and more talking about real life, uh, real life occurrences and things of that nature. And then the other part of this real nonsense is going to uh, Mina Kimes from ESPN. Mina Kimes is a beat reporter for ESPN. She covers various sports for the uh, quote unquote. I'm using air quotes right now because they are no longer this, but they still call themselves this the worldwide leader in sports. Uh, and both of these jackasses deserve a real nonsense. So here's what happened. There's somebody that um, there might be three. I'll be honest. But there might be three. So, uh, Chris Curtis, he hosts a show in Baltimore. I mean, not Baltimore, in Boston. Surprising racism is going to come out of Boston. Oh, yeah, racism's in this. Uh, yeah, R racial humor is, is, is tied 
uh, deeply into this. So, surprising this is coming from a Boston radio host, but <laughs> Chris Curtis uh, from WEEI in Boston. They were doing a segment about nips. So, if you don't know nips, uh, sometimes nips are referred to as the little shooters, the little 50 milliliter uh, shooters you get. And people were racking off their favorite nips Fireball, uh, Absolute, uh, you know, New Amsterdam, whatever, Grey Goose, whatever the case. I, I can't remember the ones, but they were, now, they were racking off their uh, favorite nips. And one of the hosts, Chris, he interjects with my favorite nip. Oh, no, not no. The joke goes as they're naming off the, the the alcoholic beverages. Chris jumps in and says, Nia Combs. <laughs> now, no one, I'll say this. It, it's a third one. Chris, you're in here too. Chris Curtis, you're, you're, you, this is real nonsense. Because you, you started this with racial humor. Uh, listen, I'm, I'm, I enjoy a good joke here and there. That's the best way I can put it. And, uh, if you can tread the line like Family Guy, more power to you. That's the best way I can put it to you. That's the best way I can put it on audio. I enjoy a good joke. But, uh, <laughs> The problem with Chris is that it, it really wasn't that time to do that. And Kimes hears it. She responds to it as, oh, of outrage. And she's totally upset because Nips is a supposed, I guess I won't use supposed, but it's a uh, racial slur towards Japanese people for some town called Nippopos something. There's a further long, listen, she's basically saying they call Japanese people nips and that was very racially offensive to me. Let me stop the story here real quick. I agree with her on this part. That guy knew that calling an Asian a nip was racist, uh, was a racist act. <laughs> Or not, it was a racial slur, joke, whatever. All right, this is where Jason Whitlock comes into this story now. Jason Whitlock. He takes the stance that Nia, uh, let me make sure her name's Nia. I'm probably fucking her own name up. That um, he takes the stance that, uh, yeah, Mia, whatever, Mina. And Mina is basically seeking attention only relevant on ESPN because she's a woman attractive and playing a defenseless person basically she's she's a victim so that's valuable to the corporation I'll say this and his only thing that I made me continue to listen and read to what Jason said was he did include a part where I do agree how many of us knew that the word nip was a racial slur Towards Asians. None of us. I, I'll be honest with you. He's right about that. None of us knew that. In the realm of that kind. But that's why Chris Curtis. You come get some of this. You knew you were being racist. <laughs> Chris knew. But the rest of the world didn't know. But Jason. To be honest, it's not your point to tell someone what is and what's not offensive. 
you know. And and that's the whitewash of Jason uh Jason Whitlock. A white guy could call me bro in a certain you know in a certain context, tone and format. And I could know that does not mean <laughs> anything endearing. So for Jason all three of you for the shock jock on the on the evening on the midday drive dropping racial slurs nigga you knew Chris you knew Chris that's real fucking nonsense I get it I get it but you know not on a syndicated broadcast I get it though and Mina are you really a victim are you really a victim here how hurt are you that some no-name radio that some no-name radio jerk threw in a half-second pun that's real nonsense it's you're not disturbed you're not shocked and blown away and Jason Whitlock this is none of your fucking business <laughs> you can't tell her how she feels be it I just told her how she should feel you're all too grown to be doing this shit in all reality man Jason Whitlock you got no you got no dog in this fight you look bitter because none of the major networks want anything to do with you anymore. And as soon as someone from a major network has a hot take, here you come. And fat, bitter old niggas. That's real nonsense. All three of you, man. This is, this is an epic real nonsense. All three of you. For participating in this Twitter beef. That's real fucking nonsense. For 40 days or even more, the lane went slack and tight once more. All boats were lost, there were only four, but still that will did go. Huh.